This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, Sherry McMillan returns to our show with lots more helpful information on estate planning, including details of another seminar coming soon to our city. In our next hour, we'll have a fresh Vancouver Market real estate update courtesy of John Carlson of 1% Realty. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Tired of endless phone lines and long hold times when you're trying to reach your airline? Well, when it comes to customer service, travelers are increasingly skipping calls to the airlines and are instead taking their requests to Twitter and Facebook. Airlines are responding by expanding their social media staff and giving them the resources they need to help travelers. For customers who are finding it more and more difficult to get an actual person on the phone, social media frequently offers real-time answers to pressing travel questions. For the airlines, social care is all about efficiency. In the span of a few minutes, a representative working on Twitter can check on a traveling child, locate a lost bag, hear out a venting customer, and upgrade a seat, all practically at the same time, whereas a phone inquiry may take up to two hours to even get a reply. Social media staffers say there are lots of things they can do that their colleagues on the phone can't, like send passengers a link so they can track check bags or solve any problems from start to finish without transferring them to another department. So next time you're having issues with your airline, don't call. Try tweeting them instead. More news from IKEA this week, and this time it's not great for some of its employees, as the Swedish furniture giant has plans to downsize its operations in Canada by 150 jobs over the next couple of years. Some of the positions will be at head office, but there will be some local reductions as IKEA tries to rebuild itself in an increasingly online world. IKEA also says where possible, employees will be reassigned to positions, other positions in the company. They have plans to open stores in 30 markets around the world, but IKEA isn't being specific for its plans for Canada yet. In this country, IKEA already employs about 6,500 people, 6,300 of them in stores. In a new poll from our friend Mario Canseco, his company, research company, finds Canadians, especially Vancouverites, aren't really keen on vaping or being with people who do. Half of the respondents said they wouldn't date someone who vapes, and that number rose to 60% here in BC. We're also pretty firm in our opinions about how vaping should be handled, with 91% saying tobacco-style va- warnings should apply to vaping products containing nicotine, and 90% insisting vaping products should not be available to minors. Nearly 75% of us disapprove of claims that vaping products are somehow healthier than tobacco products, and 62% of us agree with a ban on some flavored vaping products. All these restrictions, by the way, are now law as part of the revised Federal Tobacco Act, which is now called the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act. We told you last week Whistler Blackcomb would be open by today, and they are, but with rather limited skiing. You have only to look at the North Shore Mountains to see the lack of snow, and up the coast it's exactly the same. So with the lowest snowfall in 15 years, here's the story so far. Some runs 
Trails are open on both Worcester and Blackcomb, but there is no backcountry skiing and no beginner skiing this opening weekend. What is open for skiers and snowboarders? They'll be able to use the Village Gondola, the Emerald Six Express, and Franz's Chair to ski Eagle Bowl and Upper Whiskey Jack on Whistler, the Jersey Cream Express and Accelerator Chairlifts, along with the Excalibur Gondola, will be open on Blackcomb, though Whistler Blackcomb is asking de- guests to download via the Peak to Peak and Village Gondola. A mandatory download is in effect to no skiing for staff either this weekend. In the Callahan Valley, some cross-country skiing is available, but not recommended for beginners. A real slow start this year, so much so that the deadline for yearly passes has been extended from November 18th ahead to December 2nd this year. So now you know. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll have a look at a few more later in the hour and even more in our next hour, too. But coming right up, we welcome back Sherry McMillan, the founder and CEO of McMillan Estate Planning. Sherry's going to help us understand the intricate world of estate planning and the reasons we need to pay attention to protecting and managing the assets we've worked so hard to build all our lives. So stay with us, Sherry. Coming right up here on Vancouver Consumer on 9 Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line by Sherry McMillan. Sherry is the founder and CEO of McMillan Estate Planning. Sherry, good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. Thank you, Sterling. Good afternoon to you. It's nice to have you with us. And uh, you're based in Calgary. McMillan Estate Planning is a Calgary-based company, but you're headed west to the coast in just a few weeks with a seminar at the uh, Vancouver Marriott Hotel downtown. What are you going to do in the seminar, Sherry? Well, we like to share with families a, a cheat sheet of what other wealthy families do in their designs and estates. There's no point in reinventing the wheel. And so what we do during the presentation, Sterling, is we let families know all the choices they have in how they go about designing their estate. And we utilize a lot of other families' experiences and tools that they've used so that families can see all the co-creative ways that they can customize an estate plan to suit the, the decades ahead they're going to have in retirement and also the legacy that they'll leave behind one day. And so I always say, why reinvent the wheel? Let's learn from others. And so McMillan comes in and shares a lot of life experience and case study. Obviously, we change names for privacy. And, you know, families can draw upon that when they're looking at how they design their own estate for their life's well, you're, you're, you're right not to, to worry about reinventing the wheel. I mean, Warren Buffett gets rather widely quoted in financial circles these days, and uh, people are pretty comfortable with that. I mentioned a few moments ago at the outset of the program that you're going to talk to us about why uh, estate planning is really about life planning for now, Sherry, and for the generations to come. Can you flesh that out for us a little bit, please? I, I certainly can, Sterling. I mean, it's a really exciting time for us because we're going to live longer during retirement than we have ever lived before in a retirement phase of life. In fact, the studies are showing right now that we'll probably live longer during retirement than we will in our working career. So that's a very long time. So instead of focusing on the legacy plan, which is what most people think of when they think of the planning of estate planning, they think of dying and how they'll transfer wealth. That should actually be the last component you consider. The components that you should consider is what are you going to do through the three phases of retirement you're going to have because you're going to have an early retirement, a mid-retirement, and a late retirement. 
And because that period of time is actually longer than your whole working career, we suggest to families, let's plan it because we planned our career and we planned our families. Sure. Why aren't we planning our life plan for that long phase of life? And so there's a lot of excitement today because we have great health and great science to support our longevity. And so what we do is we focus from the outset on protecting you first. Let's protect you through those three phases of retirement. And we just naturally have protected your family anyway. So let's protect you. Let's have fun. You didn't work hard to not utilize this estate uh, in the ways you wish to in retirement. And ultimately, by protecting you, we're naturally protecting the family anyway. So this is why on the website, which is, by the way, friends, MacMillanEstate.com, you, and this is repeated several times over the website, which is a good one too, by the way, Sherry. The quote is, we believe that estate planning is about living, not dying. And and certainly is. I mean, we don't create an estate to just transfer it to the next generation Especially here in Canada, Sterling, we have new money. And ultimately, our new money has been come from a very hard work ethic. It's um, certainly a desire for us to utilize that wealth during our lifetime. That's a new modern way of looking at it, not to assume that I'll just transfer it when I die and not know what happens with it. Right. Alternatively, I want to share it. I want to share it with my family to give them a step up in life. Um, I want to do philanthropic work that I'm part of. I've not passed, and I don't know what's going on. So it's a changing uh, dynamic in our community, but we also have never had wealth like this before. So this is a whole new dynamic that we're approaching here in Canada. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity for us to look at our wealth and what is the purpose of that wealth and what is the wisdom behind that wealth. And that's what should be embodied in your estate plan. Yes, there's, you know, technical things like finance and law and tax and all of these things that we have to embody, but they should actually support the purpose and goals that you have. It shouldn't work the other way around. And unfortunately, our industry as a whole historically has always been to tell you what to do. But actually, it should be the opposite because we're living so long in retirement. We should be telling our planners what to do. We want to, you know, for the first decade, travel a lot. The next decade, we want to have a recreational property. Then we want to do philanthropic work and involve the grandchildren. Well, then the estate you have should support those kinds of objectives. And so that's why we say it should be about living. It shouldn't be about passing. Now, it's interesting because the financial plan uh, typically goes up to the point of retirement, doesn't it? Well, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to get a house, and we're going to get a car and maybe a cottage and a boat, and then you retire. Uh, end of story. Well, that's 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 nice for your your career, but it's about as you point out the the now much longer time we spend in retirement. So, Sherry, who needs estate planning? Well, this is an interesting area. I, of course, am biased as an estate planner. I think we all do, whether we're young or old, um, because of science today. And one of the things I would share is, generally speaking, um, if we have illness in modern society, most often we're saved and. The challenge of that is we may not have capacity. So let's say we've had a heart attack and we're in the hospital for a window of time or a minor stroke. It's not necessarily that we're gone. So the part of estate planning we need is called living wills, and it protects us for our health care and it protects us for finances, and it's assuming we're not gone. So I would say all of us at every age um, need that type of planning. But specifically, 
um, where we start to see a movement is the moment our families start to create a net worth of a million or more, they actually need to give contemplation to estate planning because they are going to give up a great deal of tax that they don't want to, I'm sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and by being proactive, if we plan that wealth creation appropriately with tax designs, then they keep more of it every calendar year, which obviously just compounds over the decades. And so we always say sooner is better than later. Um, predominantly, a lot of our clients are business owners, uh, affluent families with real estate, uh, executives, people that are starting to create that affluence. Although, thankfully, in Canada, we have lots of youngsters who are creating affluence today, too. So I think all of us, as we've had the blessing of creating that affluence, we have to start giving contemplation beyond financial planning because financial planning is about building up enough for retirement. Sure, exactly. But once you've, yeah, once you've done that, now what do you do? Yeah. Because now it changes. What you're trying to do then is preserve it. And so preserving it looks different than building it. And protecting and preserving is kind of important because, of course, we never know what's coming up. And you pointed out a rather important fact, too, Sherry. Uh, The unexpected is always to be taken into consideration when formulating any kind of plan. And even in retirement, you know, a a sudden illness, a a change in, in, you know, a death of a spouse, uh, relocation for whatever reason. These perhaps are unexpected elements in life that if there isn't any kind of plan or accommodation, for can be pretty tough to deal with in, in some cases. That's absolutely true. We're dynamic families in modern society, so many of us have been married more than once. In addition, we also travel a lot, so a lot of our families have properties internationally, not just here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Also, their family is abroad frequently. So this morning I was working with a family and one of their children live in the U.S. and two of their children live in the U.K. Well, how do you plan for a family like that? Because not everybody's in the same jurisdiction. True. And this is very common today. So the two things I always say is we can be certain that the governments are going to change the rules on us. And we can be certain your family dynamics are going to shift. So I always think that it's a moving target estate planning. Each year it should be reviewed and reconsidered of, well, where are the players? What has changed? What is happening? And the great part is there are tools that we can put together to support a holistic and comprehensive plan for families. So, for example, in the family I'm sharing with you that have a child in the U.S., when we transfer that wealth to that child so that we don't have to face U.S. inheritance tax. Right, and they're stiff. That's right. We have a special kind of trust that the U.S. government will acknowledge, and then we can avoid that inheritance tax for the family. So both the Canadian children and the U.S. child will be treated equally. So there's always a solution, but we have to understand how your variables uh, play an impact in how you would design your estate. As, as we assemble these these uh, variables and, and look around and sort of organize ourselves and we decide, okay, you know, this this is starting to make sense to me. So w- if we're, we're looking for someone, we, if we've come to the point in our lives where we've achieved a certain degree of success and, and wealth and all the rest of it, but really beyond having achieved all of that and spent most of our working lives getting to this point, now lacking that plan for what lies beyond it, how to maybe enjoy it and spread it around. So you're looking around to find out uh, to who to talk to. So what are the credentials uh, someone should be looking for, Sherry, uh, in hiring someone to be their estate planner? Well, it's a really good uh, question, Sterling, and I think it's evolved, especially here in Canada, because we are a new country and we are just now creating affluence. So um, in England, for example, uh, where we also have an office, 
you know, ultimately they have generation after generation of wealth and preservation. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we're new at it. So uh, the credentials that I recommend every family give contemplation to is called the trust and estate practitioner. So it's somebody that has at least a decade at minimum of practicum in this particular area. So this is their entire focus. Um, they obviously have to stay current in the legislational changes that occur. And in our office, we approach it a little different than maybe our competition because we have everything in-house. So we have our lawyers in-house, our accountants in-house, our financial planners in-house, and all under one umbrella. And so what happens is the whole story is being told to the team, and we're co-creating a plan with that family to make sure we don't miss anything. And it's really hard not to miss anything if you're working in a bubble. And that's been my experience and why I started the company in the first place is I used to see our clients go, you know, to a law firm and try and put a plan together. And then they'd run over to the accountants and try and put a plan together. But nobody was talking to each other. Right. And that, that's when mistakes happen. So um, ultimately, we have a great team of professionals in many jurisdictions. Our team is both Canadian-based, U.S., U.K., and E.U., Um, And so we're able to help families no matter what jurisdiction they may have assets in or family members in, and we can be holistic about ensuring that the game comes together properly. I always say to families, um, ultimately, if you have assets in varying countries and children in varying countries, the problem is the tax acts aren't complementary in every jurisdiction. So it's like trying to play Monopoly and Scramble all in one game. And so I think it's really fundamentally important that your team that you use as an estate planner understand those intricacies in every jurisdiction. So, for example, in B.C., um, in B.C., we must treat all children equally, but that's not true in Alberta. So we have these conflicting legislations. And so let's say you had a family business where your child's active in and you think it's fair to give that child more of the business. Well, how do you do that in B.C.? Well, you do that by maybe moving the business to Alberta and then you legally are following the rules. So there's all these creative ways um, by being holistic and and ultimately having the tools across an international basis that we can help families find creative solutions and hopefully the monopoly and scramble come together appropriately. Exactly. Now, Sherry, we've literally got one minute left before we need to break for the news. What credentials do you hold personally? Oh, my credentials are a trust and estate practitioner. So I'm a full member and ultimately I've I don't want to age myself, Sterling, but I've been in the business over 25 years, and we started Macmillan around 23 years ago, and we're so lucky to have grown um, into an international company. So many of my professionals that work for me are far smarter, obviously, and uh, we have a fantastic team to help our families today. And Sherry has another estate planning seminar coming up in Vancouver Thursday, December 13th, once again at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel downtown. That's Thursday, December 13th at the Vancouver Marriott. Uh, You can uh, check all the details on the website macmillanestate.com to pre-register, which you must do or it's recommended that you do. Uh, After the news, we'll also give you a phone number that you can also use to pre-register for this seminar Thursday, December 13th at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel downtown. We're back with more on estate planning with Sherry McMillan after the news. 
And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line from Calgary by Sherry McMillan, CEO and founder of McMillan Estate Planning and online at macmillanestate.com. Now, Sherry, you're coming back to Vancouver to do another seminar on Thursday, December 13th at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel downtown. Now, we've uh, before the news, we told our listeners that they could go to MacmillanEstate.com to pre-register for this. Is that the best approach, or would you prefer a phone call, in which case I'll pass along the number? We are open to both, whatever is convenient for our families. Okay, now lots of people are driving. They won't be able to copy this down, but if you can, it's 403-266-6464. Again, 403 403- 266-6464. And if you missed it, just go to the website, website rather, macmillanestate.com, and all of the uh, planning and uh, phone numbers are there, including, by the way, a 1-800 number uh, for people who are calling from, well, far away, like Vancouver. Sherry, what are the main motivators we talked about for families to do this estate planning business, to get really involved in the post-retirement phase of their life? Obviously, uh, tax issues are a big part of it. Very interesting watching the Trump saga unfold with a family who decided to do estate planning kind of on the dodgy side of life. That one's still playing out. I would I would think that uh, Macmillan estate planning is far more organized and f- much more legal in terms of the way you approach planning. Well, we certainly are. And, you know, we always say we're vanilla planners, but we always want to make sure that there have been precedents in law and that everything we are doing, you'll never be challenged because the last time in life you want to be challenged is when you're endeavoring to enjoy retirement. Sure. Is it a myth, um, is it a myth Sherry, that if you don't have an estate plan or, or, or a, an organized will, if you're not an organized person and you have some resources and you pass on, is it a myth that basically the government takes whatever you didn't uh, direct uh, by yourself? It is a myth. And And it's important for families to know that, but you certainly still don't want to not have a plan. And what is called is intestate, when you die and don't have a will. Yeah. And what happens is there's a government uh, schedule, and predominantly it's your core family, your nuclear family that will benefit. If there is no nuclear family, then they go up further into your extended family. And if there is no family at all, then yes, unfortunately, we'll go to the government. But that's far, far down the line. The challenge is it's held by the court, and then everybody gets to, you know, challenge it, take a piece of it, argue, and it can be years before the direct family actually even sees a value at all. And it's really dangerous, obviously, if you're an elder couple and it's supposed to go to your spouse, but there's no will, Mm -hmm. that leaves that person in jeopardy in retirement, obviously. So we want to be very conscientious that you have at least the minimum of a will, But in our office, our recommendation, Sterling, is if your net worth is a million plus, that you probably have outgrown a will. And alternatively, if you've outgrown a will, the planning that we want to use is something called a trust. And a trust is like an extra family member, if you want to say that. And you can take your estate and dump it in there. But the advantage is that a trust is not a living person. And because it's not, it doesn't accumulate tax in the same way. Ah. But more importantly than that, it protects you from all kinds of risks in modern society. And so the big risk for retirees is if they lost their spouse young and then they have a second or third relationship. Well, if they don't put into place a prenuptial arrangement, they can jeopardize their entire retirement. 
Well, not if they inherited from their spouse and trust, they aren't. And so it's a fantastic tool to make sure wealth stays in the current family that it should. So a, a large example of this is obviously the royal family in England. Um, you know, we have new members of the family, Megan and Kate. Yes. Those gals, um, yes, they benefit from the family's wealth. But because that family wealth is held in trust, technically nobody owns it. It's the family's wealth. And so what will happen is everybody can use the assets but they can't actually take those assets out of the trust and lose them to a divorce, for example. So let's say Kate does divorce Bill and then ultimately it doesn't work out. That particular castle that they have is only held in the trust. She doesn't get to take it. Ah. It will then in turn protect Bill for his retirement. In addition, we know 100% that it is going to go to those little children. And so it's a legacy plan all in one. It's a life plan and a legacy plan. And so for those families that have a net worth of a million or more, we always suggest come out and learn about what tools you have available to you here in Canada to make sure you've protected your state through retirement. And then ultimately that becomes the legacy plan for the family. I have a friend in Toronto who wrote a book. He's an estates and wills lawyer. And he wrote a book many years ago called The Family Fight and How to Avoid It. And he's a very popular guy. And his experience as a wills and estates lawyer, Sherry, is a lot of families fight over wills and estates because they weren't terribly well organized. And his book was simply the ABCs of trying to get it right and avoiding those fights. So family harmony is really, beyond all the tax issues, family harmony is really a big part of estate planning, isn't it? In my opinion, over all of these years of practice, it's actually the primary. It's the first thing that we should give contemplation to. Um, we always say you don't know somebody until you share an inheritance with them. Then you find out who they are, mm-hmm. no question. So ultimately what we want to do when we're designing an estate plan is we want to raise on purpose, where are the areas of conflict? What are they? And by looking at them from an authoritarian point of view, because mom and dad always have authority. And what we don't want is we don't want to transfer the authority and the responsibility that mom and dad had in the decisions in their state to the next generation because that puts all the children on disequal footing and it causes conflict. Yes. So, you know, frequently we'll have clients come in and they'll say, oh, my kids can worry about that. And I, I play devil's advocate and say, no, 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 no. You need to worry about this. This is your decision. And the children will follow your lead. But if you force them to make a decision, you're going to cause conflict between them. Not only because they may have differences of opinion, they're often married and they have influence. So your children have spouses and those spouses have, you know, particular opinions and they may not all come together as one. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that mom and dad take the responsibility on and the authority of where the conflicts could lie and find co-creative ways uh, to resolve them. So an example of this, Sterling, is a lovely family we worked with over time, and they had a family business um, for a good 40 years. It was very masculine. Their son was gay, and he had gone out uh, to Toronto and studied and got his MBA and was not in the family business. Their daughter was in the family business as a secretary. So when we were planning this estate with the family, we asked the mom and dad what they thought, and they said, well, we think we should give the business to her daughter because she's in it and probably give some cash to her son. So I said, okay, let's ask the harmony question to your children. So the harmony question we recommend is this. Tell your children you're designing an estate plan 
and even more effectively have a neutral party like us ask these questions. So we went out and interviewed the daughter and we asked her, you know, what is sentimental to you in your parents' estate that might cause conflict? Anything you can think of? And she said, yes, there was. There was this family poem her mother had written when she was a young child and uh, they used to read it at Christmas and she wanted to make sure she inherited it for her children. So we asked her, though, well, what about the family business? Is that sentimental to you? And this was her response. She said, no, Uh I hate the family business. I just go there because dad is there and I get to visit him. Right. So, you know, very different uh, And and here dad thought handing the the business off to the daughter because she was involved every day was just this was going to carry. She was going to carry the torch forward. Exactly. And so when we uh, conversed with the son in Toronto, um, he said to us right away, well, what's most important to me is the family business because it's our family name and I'd have to take that on and make it good for it in the community. And I said, well, you're not in the business. He goes, no, because I'm gaining life experience so that I'm a better steward of the business once I'm taking over. Wow. So I went back to the parents and I said, we have a, a problem here because your expectation and the children's is very different. Yes. So wonderfully, the son has relocated and taken on the responsibility of the family business. We have gift the poem to the young daughter now. And ultimately, she's a little ticked with us, I guess, because she still has to go to the business to visit her brother now instead of her dad. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, that is such a blessing. And I always call it the Christmas equation. When you're trying to put together an estate plan, if everybody at the table understood what your estate plan looked like, would they come to Christmas dinner? If they wouldn't, we probably got to go back and rethink it. And I think that's important because the most important thing you have in life is your family. You can't replace your family, but you can replace a bond that you have. You can replace a property. You can replace your estate. You can't replace that relationship. And so never dissuade yourself from thinking that the harmony should be at the center of your planning. It must be. Interesting stuff. And what a great story to tell. The, the, the mom and dad just, they had the, their hearts were in the right place. They just completely misread both kids. And had they not had, or even through you, had that conversation, those conversations not taken place, imagine how the outcome would have looked had they just sort of plodded along themselves with Junior not getting the business at all and the daughter getting it and not really wanting to be there and probably would unload it at the first available opportunity. Well, that's exactly the point, is we don't have these conversations in Canada because we haven't been taught to. I will tell you that practicing in uh, England, they are taught to to talk generationally. So it is understandable. I mean, we weren't a country of wealth. We had a cowboy hat and a farm, and we transferred $5 to our children at best. So there wasn't a lot of conversation to be had. Mm -hmm. Today, that's not true. We have affluence, and we're transferring it generationally, and we want to share it during our lifetime, not when we're gone and don't get to enjoy the experience of it, but rather now. And so these conversations are fundamental. Now, I caution families when I say that, not numerically, conceptually, because if you live to 100, which many of us will, you don't know how much will be left. So we want to be careful that we don't make false promise to the next generation and then they don't go to work the way they should. I'm looking at some of the uh, just some of the notes that uh, I'm, I'm doing by way of the homework I've done for this conversation, and there are a lot of misconceptions around estate planning, and I think wills really are the focal point, and we don't have a lot of time left here, Sherry, but I want to just dive, dive into this whole business of the will, because a lot of people believe 
erroneously, I think, that because I have a will, I have an estate plan. Everything's all mapped out. I know who, who's getting what. So put a, put a period on it. Where do I sign? Done deal. I have not only a will, I have an estate plan. True? True. Um, the first thing I would say to a family is if they have a will, it's only one small fragment of what they should have. And the reason for that, Sterling, is there's a couple of cautions. A will is a distribution of your assets. It is not, and I repeat, it is not a tax plan. And so all the tax opportunities that are available to you when you complete a proactive estate plan have not been utilized by the mechanism of a will. Interesting. You've missed it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you might distribute pro- appropriately, but you might give up a lot of it inappropriately to the tax man. And so I always suggest, you know, that is certainly not the right tool for affluent families. It's also not the right tool for families that have assets in the United States because there is inheritance tax there for U.S. citizens, but also for Canadians residing there from time to time. And they don't get the same credit as American citizens. So there's a myth that if I'm, you know, snowboarding, I'm going to get this $11 million exemption. No, you're not. You're not American. Right. And so, you know, you have to design differently. So ultimately, a will to me is a tool for families with a net worth of a million or less because they're probably going to spend that estate through retirement. But if you have a million or more, you have tax to worry about. You have division. You have fair versus equal when you have business. I mean, there's so many complex situations there. A will just will not cut it. And so that's really important. And then the last thing I would point out on a will is it is not private. And so it goes through the court system. And let's say you're an affluent family with a name in the community. All your wishes and all your dirt and everything is going through the public realm. And so... You know, that's dangerous, Especially if it's, obviously. A, if it's a contested will with you know, a, a, a court case and the whole bit, right? That's right. So we have this wonderful tool in Canada, and we're allowed to use this special trust if we're in retirement to transfer our, cell, our, our asset base outside of a will privately. And so most families, like with family business or cottage or just privacy because of their affluence, want to use this tool alternatively to a will. So we do spend a great deal of time in our presentation sharing those tools with families so that they can ensure they're protecting themselves through life. All right, let's talk a little bit about that presentation in the final minute we have this time around, Sherry. The seminar will take place at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel downtown. It will be on Thursday, December 13th, and it will be conducted by, well, the founder and CEO of Macmillan Estate Planning, Sherry Macmillan. Now, to pre-register for this, you have two options. You can go to the website, which is MacmillanEstate.com. That's one word, MacmillanEstate.com. Or you can give them a call toll-free. It's 1-833-266-6464. I'll repeat that number, especially if you're driving. It's 1-833-266-6464. Give them a call to pre-register. If you didn't have a chance to jot down the number, don't worry about it at all. When you uh, have access to a device, just go to Macmillan Estate Planning, and the phone number is right there on the front page of the website. It's toll-free. Give them a call. Sherry McMillan, thanks so much for being with us today. Have fun at your upcoming seminar, and come back and see us soon. Certainly will, Sterling. We're back after this. 
And once again, our thanks to Sherry McMillan for another very informative visit. Her seminar is coming up Thursday, December 13th at the Vancouver Marriott Hotel. Still ahead on today's show, John Carlson from 1% Realty with a fresh look at real estate in and around Metro Vancouver. But time now for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, looks at delays in school construction in the land of the portable, Surrey. Thanks, Sterling. Construction on five Surrey school projects has been delayed because the bids to build them came in too high. It comes as the province is pledging to move 7,000 students in the crowded school district out of portables in the next three years. The delayed projects include a new Grandview Heights Secondary School, the new Maddow Road Elementary School in Cloverdale, new elementary schools in the Douglas and Edgewood Drive areas, and in addition to Pacific Heights Elementary. Here's Surrey School District spokesperson Doug Strachan. This time the market had changed such that it was beyond even the contingencies that were built in. Now it's rare for this to happen. It's happened before but it was on the positive side in that the uh, budgets came in significantly lower. The Surrey Schools District is the fastest growing in the province with more than 71,000 currently enrolled. Last year it was home to 314 portables. Despite the delayed projects, the province said on Wednesday that it was committed to getting Surrey students out of portables and into classrooms by 2021. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. Yet another women's magazine is moving away from print. Condé Nast, the publisher of glossy magazines like Vogue, Vanity Fair, and The New Yorker, announced this week it was ending regular print publication of Glamour. Two moves foreshadowed the change last year. Condé Nast reduced Glamour's frequency to 11 from 12 issues, and in January of this year, the company installed a digital journalist, Samantha Barry, as the magazine's new editor. Although the number of Glamour's paid subscribers has remained stable over the last three years at around 2.2 million, Ms. Barry said it was time for the publication to break away from the printed page, saying, quote, it's where the audiences are, and it's where our growth is. That monthly schedule for a Glamour audience doesn't make sense anymore, close quote. The editor added that the magazine might still publish occasional print issues centered on its annual Women of the Year Award or topics like power and money. Online access to Glamour will remain free for now, and they're still working on how the special print issues will be made available. A German teenager with a need for speed found out the hard way that racing, well, should be left to the pros less than an hour after getting his driver's license. According to the BBC, the teen was caught speeding in his hometown of Hemmer just 49 minutes after he returned from his driving test. The cops clocked him, driving nearly twice the speed limit, doing 95K in a 50K zone. Some things last forever. Others... Not for an hour. This is what the police wrote in their report. After pulling him over, officers found the teenager together with four of his pals who decided to, well, have a drive together as a way to celebrate that passing of the all-important driving test. Well, the teen is now facing a strict punishment and will have to wait some time until he can drive again. He's been formally banned from driving for at least four weeks, but will only get the license back after expensive retraining. The 18-year-old will also have to pay a $225 fine, and police said they're likely to extend his probationary period from two to four years. 49 minutes.
That's quite a driving career. And those are some more of this week's top consumer stories. We'll have lots more for you in our next hour when John Carlson pays us a visit with a fresh Vancouver market real estate update. And, of course, lots more on the 1% Realty story. You're with 980 CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. Lots more ahead on Vancouver Consumer coming up right after Global News to 3. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.